Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you wanna mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you wanna jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hello, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick from Cincy Jungle. Here today, I have PFF Bengals media correspondent, Evan McPhillips. Evan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. I could probably use a haircut like most of you guys, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, I, I got like I took a shower the other day and, and I like didn't do anything with my hair right away, which I used to be able to get away with doing and my wife's like, you got you to gotta comb your hair. You look like Wolverine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hear you. Facial hair kind of looks like Wolverine right now, too. So I, I understand. I think we're all we're all feeling that right now. So, uh-huh. uh, But uh, Evan McPhillips, uh, again, from PFF Bengals. Uh, today is brought to you by New Era Hats. Uh, get your, your New Era draft hats. Uh, look just like Bengals' first overall pick, Joe Burrow. But uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, actually, is we're going to get a little bit of the uh, pro football focus perspective uh, on the Bengals draft and some of the other changes they made, some of the other things that have gone on in the AFC North this offseason. So, look, I, I think we all know, I think PFF is uh, on board with everybody else with uh, loving the Joe Burrow pick. So we'll kind of skip ahead on that. We'll, we'll circle back in a minute, but we'll, we'll skip <laughs> down uh, and we'll talk about uh, second round pick T Higgins. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Somebody that was seen as a first round pick early in the process after a bad combine. I think he fell on a lot of people's boards. Um, but you know, the Bengals say they saw him as a first round pick and they were, they were excited to make the move. So where, uh, where did PFF have Higgins ranked amongst receivers? Uh, and you know, were there other receivers ranked ahead of him that were around at that time in the draft? So T. Higgins was a very, very great prospect who graded very well for us over the last two years. Um, he ended up 25th overall on our PFF big board, and he was our seventh ranked receiver. Um, we did have uh, LaVisca Chenault and Michael Pittman Jr. slightly ahead of him. Uh, but with the injuries and consideration and the fact that Chenault is more of a project in the sense that he's going to have some more refinement and he's a, a raw athlete that is – kind of a more of a gadget is going to be more useful for creative people or a creative offense. That's going to take advantage of that and kind of develop them. I think um, really looking at between Pittman jr. And T Higgins uh, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs a little bit. They're very similar in their, their size profile and Pittman jr. Didn't test a whole lot better than T Higgins did. But the reason we ended up having him ahead is Mike Renner really loved Pittman jr. Who's our C or I'm sorry, Mike Renner's our senior analyst for those who don't know. And he really liked Pittman Jr.'s ability to separate. And I think that was what ended up kind of splitting the hairs between Pittman Jr. and T. Higgins. They were ranked very close, 22nd and 25th on our PFF big board. Um, So T. Higgins graded out at a 95 overall grade last season. That was tied for fifth among 115 qualifying wide receivers. So he did grade very well for us. And to compare that to Tyler Boyd, John Ross, and Auden Tate coming out, just to kind of give you guys perspective about what kind of prospect we have here. Tyler Boyd was looking at about 89.9 overall grade, which ranked ninth in his class as well. Uh, John Ross was around that 86.8 range and Auden Tate was in that 75.7. So in terms of just overall grade, T Higgins is the best wide receiver prospect that they've taken in the last recent four or five years. 
So the big issue we talked about with him was what we said with separating him from Pittman Jr. is T. Higgins' ability to separate. Um, You'd like to see a little more separation, but at the same time, he's so massive and his catch radius is so good and his hands are just elite. And even though he was he faced tight coverage quite a bit, it didn't appear to be an issue for him. He actually produced the best grade against tight coverage in the last two years in college football. So you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. Yes, you have a guy who had, I think it was a 31 and a half inch vertical at his pro day. So the testing numbers aren't exactly where you'd like them to be. They're about 50 percentile. You've got a round one kind of talent on film here. And so you kind of pull those together. And I think you end up with a really talented prospect at the top of round two that Bengals fans should feel good about. So you tweeted recently uh, the grades for, for both Higgins and uh, quarterback Joe Burrow on passes beyond 20 yards. And, you know, I, I think you talk about Higgins, maybe not a separator, but, but you know, great in those contested situations, great hands. And it really seems like Burrow is great at throwing those balls into those tight windows, throwing up some balls that, uh, you know, to let his player make a play on the ball. Um, so, you know, do you think that there's a good alignment and a good connection there with the types of throws that, that Burrow does particularly well at and the types of catches that T makes? Absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head there. So I could sit here and talk forever about how Joe Burrow is one of the most accurate quarterbacks that we've ever charted and start naming as 94, 95 grades. You all have heard it before. You know how good and how accurate he is and his ball placement and his ability to kind of, and you saw it with Jamar Chase on all the go routes and the, the fades and the back shoulder throws that he had, his accuracy really gave him a good opportunity to make that not necessarily a 50-50 ball, but more of a 70-30 or 60-40 ball, you know? And so looking at those numbers in particular, T. Higgins on go routes last season generated the perfect NFL passer rating when targeted. He had 14 catches on 18 targets for 477 yards and three touchdowns. Joe Burrow on go routes was also very good. He had 124.2 passer rating, which was 26 points higher than the NCAA average. And Jamar Chase was a big part of that, too. 30 of Jamar Chase's targets came on go routes, which is the most of any route that he ran. And he generated a 129.9 passer rating when targeted. So Joe Burrow has demonstrated that he has had the success on these go routes and on these back shoulder fades to Jamar Chase. And I would argue that T. Higgins is a little bit bigger and has a massive catch radius to where Joe Burrow can use his next level accuracy to put these balls in places that can really take advantage of T. Higgins' ability to go up and get these jump balls on these smaller defensive backs that might be matched up with him. Yeah, it was interesting. There, there are times when you watch T. Higgins on film when, like, he's almost in a backpedal. Like, mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence just chucks something up, and, and he turns well before the ball gets there, and he's just ready for it. And uh, and not even just on the, like, the back shoulder fades, but on seam routes as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely a, a parallel, though, there with uh, some of the things that Trevor Lawrence was doing at, at Clemson and, uh, you know, what Joe Burrow was doing at LSU. So uh, definitely be interesting to get those two guys together. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a big receiving core. People said that, you know, some of the detractors of Joe Burrow said that Jamar Chase would kind of bail Joe Burrow out on some of these throws. But his receivers aren't getting smaller and they're not getting less talented between T. Higgins and A.J. Green. And I mean, Auden Tate's got size on the boundary, too. He's his accuracy is really going to help, I think, put this offense over the top and really elevate the game of of the receivers. And, you know, I don't want to talk ill of Andy Dalton, you know, on the day that he hands up uh, parting ways with the team. But at the mm. same time, that uncatchable pass rate on clean pocket throws was 
bottom near bottom of the league. I think it was 30th out of 32 qualifying quarterbacks last season. So you can't have those uncatchable passes coming on clean pockets. So I think Joe Burrow will help to use his accuracy and his ability to kind of maneuver the pocket and navigate pressure well and create off script to put the offense and the wide receivers in a great position to succeed. I just want to take a step back for a second, just to just to get a little bit of clarity. So we talk about uh, draft, you know, draft rankings, and mm-hmm. we talk about PFF grades. Um, now, now, is there a distinction there with a where a PFF grade? That's just the same way you grade players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where you rank them in the draft is that also incorporating some of their physical traits and, and how you project them to the NFL more so necessarily than what they've done in college? Absolutely. Um, I think a good example is actually Logan Wilson. Um, he was ranked lower on the board than where we took him. I want to say he was at 111 off the top of my head and the Bengals picked him in the sixties. So there would be some sort of difference in value, but if you look at the grades for Logan Wilson, they're, they're all in the nineties and they've all been really good. So then you start to ask, okay, well, you have, you know, a couple linebackers. How do you separate guys who all graded well and some are a little bit better athletes like Akeem Davis Gaither? We actually had him ranked higher than Logan Wilson. We had Akeem Davis Gaither ranked in the 60s. And that was because his versatility, his athleticism, you, you do have to do a little bit of projecting. The grades are a good guy, but eventually you do have to try and separate these guys. And so I think coming from a conference where it was the Mountain West. Though he graded well in coverage, he wasn't necessarily asked to do complicated things in coverage. A lot of times he was what looked like spying the quarterback. And then adding in the fact that he's going to be 24 by the time the season rolls around. These are all things that you'll use to kind of maybe separate guys. The grades are really good to help you get a good idea of what you're looking at. But you also do need to add context. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit in the draft, but stay on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Hakeem Adeniji. Uh, it seems to be a little bit controversial uh, that there are people who are, are pretty high on him who thought that was a great value pick, uh, and then there are there are people that were pretty that were pretty low on him that you know don't really project him to to doing much in the NFL. Uh, where did the PFF have him ranked, and and how does he uh, how did he grade out on run and pass blocks? So we had him ranked at 163rd on the PF big board, and we had him as a round five projection. And so for all the Bengals picks, except for Logan Wilson, according to the PFF big board, the Bengals got value, which is very promising after, you know, we may feel that they reached on Drew Sample in the second round last year. So to see them get value on a lot of picks is very reassuring. Um, But also... I, even though the grading, this is one scenario where the grading profile, you got to kind of put some context with it too and kind of see, okay, was there improvement? Even though the end result may not have been in the 90s or an elite level or in the 80s, what can we what can we take away from what we can see from this prospect? And so Akeem Adeniji tested like a good athlete, like a tackle, an athletic tackle who could play in the NFL. No, he only had a 62.1 run blocking grade, which ranked 129th out of 190 tackles and a 72.7 pass blocking grade, which ranked 84th out of 190 tackles. There's still some promise there. And where do you find that promise when you find those low grades? Okay, so we go look at his pass blocking efficiency, which is basically his pressures allowed per pass blocking snaps. He had a 98.6 pass block efficiency, which actually ranked 20th out of 146 qualifiers. And so the way you can kind of get a 
a separation between pass blocking efficiency and the grade itself is the grade takes into account how you got beat. You know, if you're if your teammate trips you and then suddenly the guy comes up and makes the sack, then you're going to get you're not going to get knocked as much as if, say, you got completely bowled over and knocked over on your butt as soon as you tried to pass block and then got sacked. There's there's some context to that. And so right. that's something that's not added into pass, pass blocking efficiency. But still to see him ranked in the top 20 out of 146 in his senior year is good. Also, that's another thing is that he's played 800 snaps a season in almost four seasons. So you got a guy who's durable and a guy who's got a good experience. And he constantly improved as a pass blocker in terms of his pressures allowed. He allowed 21 as a sophomore. He cut that number down to 15 as a junior. And that went farther down to nine as a senior. So paired with that improvement, that experience and the athleticism he does have, you would hope that if he can get a little more refined in his technique, that he would be able to really end up maybe even contributing a little bit because there is a profile for a guy who is durable and can do it at an NFL level. If he can just clean up some of the, some of the issues he has in pass blocking. I remember Mike Renner noted that he can get a little narrow in his base sometimes and get his feet a little too close, too close together. And he felt that may get him into some trouble, but I mean, these are all correctable issues, which is what you want to hear from this guy. you got a baseline level athlete, at least what you need. You've got, a durable guy and really getting that in the later rounds is I, I feel like that's a really good pick. Yeah. Bengals fans definitely uh, appreciate durability and, and I'm with you on that. I think just watching him on film, he, he moves very well, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a guy that size and what the Bengals are doing offensively now, um, you know, I think at tackle or having that flexibility to play guard, he could be a really good fit. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping to see him develop into, into something. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jonah Williams was was my OT one last mm-hmm. year, and I believe that PFF might have even been higher on him than I was. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> probably not really fair to to compare, uh, you know, a late round pick, a day three pick to uh-huh. Jonah. But just for for comparison purposes, uh, how did how did uh, Fred Johnson look coming out, uh, you know, compared to Adenogy? So Fred Johnson a year ago was looking at. He was okay. He wasn't great. You're looking at struggles in the run game. You're looking at decent pack blocking across a few snaps. Uh, He only had 82 pass blocking snaps on the season. And there's obviously room for improvement, whether you're adding in anybody, whether it's Jonah, whether it's Akeem Adenogy. I think you've got to feel better about the offensive line than you were a year ago. And a lot of people will go, wait a second, hang on. How does that make sense? And we can talk a little bit more about this, looking at the the weeks one through eight and the rest of the season kind of splits for these offensive lines a little bit later, but you'll see that there was market improvement and the Bengals are probably right to feel a little bit better about how the second half of the season went on their offensive line. And so you can kind of understand with Jonah Williams coming back and with the prospect that maybe they felt really good about that they felt they could rely on as a backup swing tackle or a backup guard if they needed someone who offers a lot of versatility, as you said, with Adenogy, that you may not see the, the John Jerry's and the Fred Johnson's kind of coming out there and just being in the way, you know, being that subway turnstile that just slows people down. You know, you want to see someone who's actually putting up a fight. So I think that adding Jonah Williams, who you were right. He was ranked as our best tackle and our fourth best player overall in the draft. And a large part of that is just looking at his true pass sets and his uh, senior season. And what we mean by true pass sets is we define those as passes with four or more pass rushers with a straight QB drop to seven or more yards 
We take away the play action and the screen. So just go pass block your guy. This is going to be a, a real snap. There's no quick under two second throw coming out. How did you look? And he had about 200 of those snaps in 2018 and allowed just six pressures, which is extremely promising. It's why we were so high on him. And plus, he's a, a PFF darling because he charts all of his own data on his opponents coming <laughs> up and all of his past moves and which ones win. So adding all that together, you get a guy who performs on the field and is also very intelligent cerebrally. And putting those two together, you got to feel really good about at least the tackle position in terms of Williams going forward. Yeah, and then uh, adding in uh, Xavier Suofilo as well, I, I think especially schematically will be an improvement over uh, John Miller should be a better fit mm-hmm. anyway. Um, now, one thing about Adenogy, uh, he had four different offensive line coaches in his four-year career at Kansas. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals have had three offensive line coaches in the last three years. <laughs> so, I mean, really all of these guys, I mean, obviously we've got scheme changes during the mm-hmm. during the year and, and everything as well. But, I mean, just having the same voice, having uh, you know, Jim Turner coming back, uh, I, mean, I think that's going to be a great uh, – a great asset for the Bengals to to go into into a year with a little bit of stability. I mean, uh, all the coaching turnover plus you know uh, losing Jonah, losing losing Bowling unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that group has had a rough time, so yeah. it'll be uh, be good to see them in a little bit better shape. Hopefully, uh, moving forward here. Yeah, I agree. I, it looked like, yeah, it kind of turned into a patchwork offensive line there. And I think, you know, sometimes consistency can be really an underrated aspect of things. And I think maybe we all have a little bit perspective now that our lives that were very set in our patterns kind of you know, got thrown out. So now we kind of have a perspective for how weird things can get when suddenly there's not a lot of consistency and there's a lot of change. And especially on the offensive line where cohesion is so important, you've got guys coming and going all season. So sure. It's it's definitely there's reason to believe that there's going to be improvement just from the stability, as you said, plus all the added pieces that you're bringing in. Well, moving over to the defensive line, uh, what did uh, PFF think of uh, Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame? That was, again, a bit of a controversial pick that people were a little bit surprised with some of the other guys that were on the board at that time. Well, I think that's actually kind of an important pick for the Bengals because, you know, looking past their defensive line situation, I mean, if if Carl Lawson goes down, God forbid, for any injury issues, then, you know, I mean, they're looking at Sam Hubbard and Carlos Dunlap and, I mean, not much else behind them that you can really mm-hmm. feel good about. So I think it was important to add that edge defender who can really just come in. And that was the thing about Khaled Kareem is it was – Solid but unspectacular. He he wasn't going to blow it. He wasn't going to ruin anything. But he'd also make some good plays here and there. But he, the highs and lows were far few and far between. And he was much. But that's someone you want to rely on. That's someone sure. you want to be bringing in as your third or fourth defensive end. And it's not to say that he was a slouch either, because in his senior season he graded out 78.3 run defense grade, which was 43rd out of 200 edge defenders. And against his pass rush, he was 86.6 grade, which was 23rd among qualifying edge defenders. Mm. He had seven or more pressures on 71 less pass rush attempts this season, and he improved his pass rush productivity from 5.7, which ranked 92nd as a junior, to 8.5, which ranked 30th as a senior. So you see the improvement that we were talking about with the Denogy. These are the late. You see this improvement, and you see this stability, and you say, maybe I don't get you know, an all pro, maybe I don't get these, but I can get a guy that I can rely upon that I can give two, 300 snaps to, 
and I know they can come in and handle their responsibilities. And that's something that the Bengals could really use is just ways to spell their guys. Carlos Dunlap, Geno sure. Atkins, these guys are getting older. And so being able to spell these guys and keep them fresh and not ask them to get out there and rush the passer four or 500 times in a season, it's just, it's only going to benefit the entire line by adding him. So adding someone who's has not a lot of lows is not going to ruin or blow any of his assignments and can also offer some upside as a pass rusher and shows improvement, then that's something that you can be excited about with Khaled Kareem. I, I don't think that, I don't think that it was a bad pick whatsoever. I, I can get on board with it. And I think adding to that D line was really important for them to address in the later rounds of the draft. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the draft, you're either, you're either taking traits or you're taking consistency that maybe doesn't have those elite traits. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, really what you're getting with him is a guy who should be a pretty solid deaf player for you. Um, I would guess can contribute and run down some kickoffs and do some things like that as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, also maybe being a rotational piece. I think he's got some versatility. He can, He's a little light, but I think he can bump inside at least to like a five technique here and there. Absolutely. Uh, and even, you know, maybe even spell, you know, spell Gino a little bit and mm-hmm. passing situations, certain situations. So, um, yeah, it, it's just it's just not as exciting as some of the other ones. And then you get a guy like uh, Marcus Bailey, who we'll talk about it in a, in a second here. Uh the the next the last pick actually not not, not the next pick but you know mm-hmm. it was their last pick and and he's a little bit more of a wild card because he can do some things but can he stay healthy so there's always going to be you're either going to have big question marks or just not anything really super exciting when you're looking at day three and you know he kind of fits into the the latter category but um, overall with the really the big change up front was uh, going from Andrew Billings who. But a, but a very solid player uh, for a lot of years, but really upgrading that spot and spending a bunch of money to bring in DJ Reader. Uh, how much do you think the Bengals' defensive line has improved with that uh, change? I mentioned to the, this to you a little bit before when we were talking uh, off air, and I told you I used to run the PFF Texans account. So as a res- mm-hmm. responsibility for that, I was watching the Texans very closely. So about you know two years ago, I was – looking at DJ reader and I was, you know, picking out the players each week that kind of stood out that, you know, you may not have thought and DJ reader kept popping up over and over again in terms of his run stops, his pass rush ability. It would just, it was like, man, there's, there's this guy getting, you know, three or 400 snaps and he's doing really well. Should he be getting more? And he finally did this season and he ended up having career best marks and overall PFF grade with an 85.5 career best marks and total pressures and in defensive stops. And he played over 600 snaps. So I think that's really important because he's not just a nose tackle. Andrew Billings was was great. Mm. We we liked Andrew Billings, and he was solid. And it was nice to have someone across from Geno, and it was nice to have a big, hulking kind of nose tackle there that could clog things up. But he really didn't offer much as a pass rusher, and he also had a lot of missed tackles. Um, looking at it, 2,400 snaps for DJ Reader over his career, and he's had just six missed tackles. And you compare that to Billings, that's 1,600 snaps, and he's had 18 missed tackles. So you're getting much better tackling there. You're getting shore run defense, and you're also getting more upside as a pass rusher. He recorded one of the five best win rates and pass rush grades at a zero or one technique. So to say he's just a nose tackle is very unfair to DJ Reader. He's only been getting better as a pass rusher, and I think his ability there will make them feel more comfortable to pull Gino off the field if they need to, to say kick in Sam Hubbard or Khaled Kareem or Carlos Dunlap, like you mentioned before, mm-hmm. you can feel better about 
Gino being off there and not feel like you're losing your pass rush from the interior because, you know, DJ Reader can also get the job done. And I'm very excited about that signing. He was one of my favorite targets for the Bengals. And I kind of looked at the projected salaries and said, man, there's just no way. And then, you know, hour or two later, there you go. He got signed. And man, that's that was an excellent signing by them, really. I, I'm, I'm very on board with that. Yeah, and they've talked about how they, they felt that Geno played too much last year. So you make a great point that being able to to spell him a little bit more to, you know, just to save his body. Uh, you know, these these guys that are 300 plus pounds, you know, everything they're doing over the course of the year, you know, just sparing them some reps here and there. Uh, you know, that's that, that's huge. I mean, a 16, 16 game season with what they're asked to do. Um, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. The toll it's going to take, especially, you know, for these bigger guys. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a huge addition. Uh, and when you have them both in there together, you know, I think DJ reader said it, you can't, you can't double team both of them. So exactly. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, um, and, and you look at that in situationally, if, if you're, if you don't want to blitz, if you don't want to send any pressure and you just want to come out in a, in a tray front and, and put them both in a position away from the center where you really can't double team either one of them. Um, that's that's going to be a solid four man rush for the Bengals, regardless of, of which two ends you have out there. Um, now moving back uh, to the linebacker group, obviously this was the biggest haul for the, uh, for the Bengals uh, only seven picks in this draft and they spent almost half of them on linebackers. Uh, we've got Logan Wilson in the third, Akeem, Hakeem, excuse me, uh, Hakeem, uh, Akeem Davis Gaither. Apparently, I can't spit out that name. <laughs> uh, and Marcus Bailey uh, later in day three and the seventh. So, what uh, what does PFF think of this trio? We were really high on Akeem Davis Gaither, as I said earlier. Uh, he was 67th on our board, and Logan Wilson was 110th, and Marcus Bailey was actually 153rd, just behind Logan Wilson, not too far off. And we like all of these picks for the Bengals. Obviously, the Bengals' need for linebacker kind of elevates where you might value Logan Wilson on the big board, because looking at this big board, you have to pull yourself away from the team needs. But as soon as you look at it through the Bengals' lens, suddenly you could move certain positions up a couple spots or 10, 20 spots because of their need, and they may be more important to you. So just looking objectively, it may have been, quote, unquote, a reach in terms of value on Logan Wilson. But to get Akeem Davis Gaither around after, I mean, you could do the old flip game and, you know, change those picks in their rounds, and suddenly you get value on almost every pick. But going to their production scores, looking against the pass, and I think you see one theme, or at least there's one that jumps out to me about looking at all of these linebackers. And that is every single one of these guys can affect the game in all three phases in run defense and coverage and as a pass rusher. And I feel like that was something that Lou Anarumo really wanted for the versatility on his defense. So looking at those numbers a little bit, Akeem Davis Gaither had an 82.2 pass rushing grade that tied 17th among linebackers. That guy is slippery. And he is quick laterally. He is hard to get your hands on, and he is very talented. He was dubbed PFF's best blitzing linebacker in our draft guide. He did provide just a 61.5 coverage grade on the season, but when you look at the tape and you watch him, he he's fluid. When he transitions and flips his hips, it's smooth. There's not, there's not a huge deceleration or slowing down or throttling down, and he shows good instincts. 
he just tends to overrun things a little bit. He, he did have some issues with missed tackles, but he's shown the ability and the athleticism to play very well. And plus, he's also played 254 snaps at slot corner last season. So he has mm-hmm. that versatility and that experience. And you can look at that athleticism and those instincts and that ability and say, we can project forward that he is going to be better in coverage than maybe he was in college. And yeah, plus, he was he was really more of a slot corner slash mm-hmm. edge rusher, you know, the mm-hmm. way they used him at App State. So definitely brings that versatility. But but you do see some of the carryover skills that, you know, of a guy that a guy's going to need in the box in terms of engaging on linemen, mm-hmm. uh, disengaging from blocks and, and filling gaps. Sorry, I that cut was, you off there. No, that's fine. That's actually the that would be the one drawback for Akeem Davis Gaither besides his kind of injury history and what may be going on with there was, you know, I mean, he he looks to be more slippery and slithery than he wants to stack and shed on, you know, on on the blocking, like you said. So. It's not a bit. It's not the biggest deal in the world, you know. You, you can kind of work with him on that, and he's also a little bit more slender than your average linebacker. So it, it maybe just he's using his athleticism and kind of using his trump card as he can get away with in college against mm-hmm. subpar athletes. We'll see how that kind of develops along the way in the NFL. But yeah. uh, transitioning over to Logan Wilson, he also provided a 85.6 pass rushing grade, which ranked ninth, even higher than Akeem Davis Gaither and also an 81.4 coverage grade. Now, we talked a little bit about the coverage grade and how that might be inflated because he may not have had too much responsibility, but at the very least, you see that he has, I want to say he was an 80th percentile athlete. You see a guy who has the higher-end athleticism, has the, pedig- has the pedigree of at least starting for three years and showing really great promise across all of those times. I think his grades were all in the low 90s across all three of his seasons, and that's because consistency is rewarded. So, even though you may have an 85, an 85, and an 85 in all three seasons, you could end up with a 90 grade across those because Steve Palazzolo always uses the, the example of a quarterback throws for 300 yards in a game, that's good. If a quarterback throws 300 yards in 10 games in a row, that's great. That's different. You know, the, that consistency is, is valuable in and of itself. So that was something you saw with Logan Wilson is that he consistently produced, and that's something that's very encouraging even though he may be on the older side of about 24 by the time the season kicks off, it still feels a position of need. And that's a guy you can plug in and feel good about with the injury concerns that we talked about with Akeem Davis Gaither and Marcus Bailey that, you know, for sure you have at least Logan Wilson and you can depend on him and he's going to fill those needs for you. Looking farther at Marcus Bailey, you mentioned the, the severe injury issues with him, but when he's on the field, he was one of our favorite off ball linebackers uh, he only played in two games last season before getting hurt. So looking at his 2018 to get a better idea of who he is, he produced an 84.5 coverage grade, which tied 25th out of 200 linebackers and a 77.9 pass rush grade, which ranked 24th. He also recorded seven passes defense and six interceptions, just allowing seven touchdowns in coverage at the collegiate level. So those are really good numbers for a linebacker. So yeah. when he's healthy, he's really great in coverage. And so if we, if they can, It's always tough to say a guy is injury prone or this is going to keep happening. Sometimes things are just freak accidents. I always like to use the example of Frank Gore. Frank Gore coming out was, you know, a quote unquote injury Mm -hmm. concern. And that was one of the most durable running backs of the the early 2000s, you know. And so it's it's really tough to project sometimes. So and he played forever. (laughs) Yes. Right. And so the longevity and the fact that he didn't miss games. So, yeah, it's that's why when people say injury prone, I say, man, it's such a crapshoot sometimes I. A little more with the soft tissue injuries, you know, than maybe broken bones or anything like that. Maybe those are more symptomatic of things that may come in the future. But I 
getting a guy like that with that kind of talent when he's healthy at the end of the draft is that's as good of a seventh round pick as you could really have. Yeah. And really for, for Bailey too. So he had two ACLs, Mm -hmm. but he had three completely healthy seasons in between. Yes. Uh, So he played 12 or 13 games. That's the magic part about it. So it's, it's tough, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. So, and I mean, hey, then looking at the uh, the last phase of the game here, uh, I said they affect all three phases, and you saw how they affect the pass rush and the coverage. So you've got a lot of versatility there, and who you drop and who you rush, that you can play a lot with them pre-snap on that, which I think Lou Anarumo might have some fun with this season. We'll have to wait and see on that. But these guys aren't a slouch against the run either. Akeem Davis Gaither had an 87 run defense grade, which was 11th out of 200 linebackers, even though he's a little bit more slender. The big problem with him, as I mentioned earlier, was 15 plus missed tackles in each of the past two seasons. But you'd rather have a guy who's fast and athletic and you ask him to slow down a little bit than rather have a guy who's slow and you ask him to speed up. We, we saw how that went with Absolutely. Preston Brown last season and it didn't go well. <laughs> so and Logan Wilson had a 91.6 run defense grade, which ranked second of 200 linebackers. And Marcus Bailey had a 74.4 run defense grade, which ranked 109th out of 200 linebackers. So you've got guys who really are solid in all three phases, can handle whatever kind of responsibilities that you may be throwing at them. And I think that versatility was something that Lou Anarumo really coveted this draft. So taking a step to last draft, uh, going back to last draft, uh, the Bengals brought in Jermaine Pratt, who um, once they once they let him work it out, uh, did, did very well. And I know that his PFF grade at the beginning of the year was was pretty low. Um, but I, I think the way that they were kind of bringing him in, uh, to spell players and then basically he'd have one, uh, I don't know what PFF's terminology is per se, but he'd have one, what I would call a critical error, you know, mm-hmm. a missed tackle or wouldn't get in his gap or something and they'd pull him and you wouldn't see him again. So mm-hmm. to me, when you're getting less, you know, you're getting maybe 10 reps and one of them is a critical error, unless the rest of the game is perfect, of course his numbers were terrible. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Once they let him work it out, it seemed like he came around. You're right, and that's the context of the grade, right, is if, yes, he's grading poorly, but we say why, and then we go back and we look and we say, okay, like you said, if every time he has a critical error, they, they pull the Marvin Lewis and yank him off the field, there's no opportunity for him to kind of gain positive plays and recover that grade, especially when you have a lower snap count. And I actually have the numbers in front of me because – I think his his splits were very impressive um, in weeks one through eight. He was uh, 42.7 overall grade and he had a 38.8 coverage grade. But if you look in the I want to say we're looking at just the second half in general of that season. Let me load this up real quick. It's taking a second. He improved that to a was that 56.3 it was the last five weeks of the season that he really came on that's what it was it was after they released Preston Brown and he got into mm-hmm. his role weeks 12 to 17 he turned he increased that all the way to 70.6 coverage grade and a 65.1 oh, wow. overall so massive difference from the early part of the season there because like you said once Preston Brown was gone he had the freedom to kind of if he made a mistake make positive plays to recoup that. And I believe his coverage grade ranked off the top of my head. It was somewhere in the 12 to 15 range among linebackers. So it was very good. And that promise in the last five or six weeks of the season helps them feel really good about Pratt. And I I think it was good for them to really let Preston Brown go and let him flourish because I mean, just looking at Preston Brown last season, I mean, he's graded under 60.2 in five of his six seasons. 
He had an abysmal 50, 50, I'm sorry, 45.9 grade last season. And his 40 time was 4.86. But I mean, there's times like the 49ers game last season that you watch and you'd swear he was slower than that. So mm-hmm. he is a 90s linebacker. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, he is. He's, and it, he's a player. He it. just the, the game kind of passed him by. You know, it's Indeed, just not, yeah. not, what you, not what you're looking for anymore. But yeah, um, opening now, things up to Jermaine Pratt was really good for him. And I think that's they can feel good about at least that linebacker spot while they try and figure out who's going to play that other spot. Yeah, so they, they've got the three, and it's interesting, maybe kind of a, a lesson to learn about the three rookies that uh, all of a sudden there's a lot of linebackers on this team. You know, they added yes. Josh Bynes as well, and um, so those guys, you know, at least at least some of them are probably only going to get some spells here and there. So uh, they could have a similar issue with some rough grades if they're getting they're getting pulled for for making one mm-hmm. mistake. Yeah, uh, it's going to be tough. They're going to be fighting for playing time. Absolutely. And honestly, with uh, with them making those picks and kind of looking at the log jam they've got there, and I know they've signed a couple undrafted guys that they might like, might like too. Jordan Evans might kind of be on the outside looking in. If you look, his first two seasons, he played 312 snaps his first season. And the second season, he played 510. But with a new regime in last season, he only played 76 total snaps. So... Unless yeah, they, a lot of that was at the end of the year too. I mean, uh-huh. it, it seemed like at the end of the year they were uh, they were using he and Hardy. They bring in those guys and mm-hmm. and give them you know a series here or there. Um, other than that, I felt like he was when they were actually running a four three base defense, <laughs> which was very rare. Like uh-huh. then you'd see him. He he'd show up. He he was the third guy. Um, yeah. But they were working point, them in, uh, you know, with with Vigil and, and Brown, you know, especially when, when Pratt got in there. So, um, yeah, it, it does it does feel like he could be the odd man out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just old regime. They got their new guys coming in, especially with Josh Bynes coming in, too, who I feel like is more of what they wanted Preston Brown to be. You know, mm-hmm. he was a little more he was a little better against the run defense. He had a 79 or higher each of the last three seasons. And he's improved his PFF grade each of the last three seasons as well. Uh, culminating in an 80 overall career high grade last season. So you got a guy who's getting better every year as opposed to the guy who's like Preston Brown who might be taking a step back almost every year as he loses a step here and there. So yeah. I think with the with the additions of the draft class plus Josh Bynes, I think you're you're getting to about five or six linebackers there and Jordan Evans may be on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be tough to make this roster. I think a lot of people said that when they took Bailey it was like, well how is he gonna make the team? Well <laughs> they, they they had like three linebackers on the roster before they brought them in. So yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, good good problems to have. You know, having, exactly. having lots of talent. That's always uh, that, that's how you create a winner. A strong survive. So um, now it was a little surprising that the Bengals didn't do anything in the secondary. They they have always valued the secondary, particularly the corner position. Uh, although they did make some massive changes. This offseason, uh, Kirkpatrick out, Trey Wayne's in, uh, Darquez out, Mackenzie Alexander in, uh, Clayton Fedulum out, Von Bell in. Mm-hmm. So looking at, uh, at their grades and performance last season, how do you think that uh, how much do you think that this group improved with those free agent changes? So looking at this as a whole, I think you can definitely say that the units improved. And I think that comes more from Dre Kirkpatrick's struggles last season than anything else. Um, looking at how PFF feels really good about the NARD 
he's always graded very highly for us. And he's always been near the top in slot metrics in terms of yard per coverage, snap allowed, et cetera. And so he's been one of the better slot defenders. He's got the 12th best slot coverage grade among 42 qualifying cornerbacks. And two of those three seasons of his last three seasons, he's had a top 30 finish among quarterbacks in terms of PFF war. Man, why and, can I, can I, uh, why can this guy not find a job? I, it's, I think it's because he doesn't want to play in the slot. And it's, Ooh. it's this, it's this dissociation of he wants to play boundary corner because that's where the NFL is paying people. And, but well, you know, PFF one of my favorite say, underrated quotes of all time is from the movie The Departed. Oh, great! We, we deal in deception, but we do not deal in self-deception. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, dude, you're a good slot corner. Just be a slot corner. Just be the best. Yeah, you're one of the better slot corners in the NFL. Just like find your niche and do it really well. And so, and I think we see that there's that devaluation of that slot position. And when we signed Mackenzie Alexander for so cheap, because. Alexander isn't a slouch either because among 41 slot corners, he ranked 19th in his two-year coverage grade, and he produced the fourth highest force incompletion rate. So mm. you're going from one of the, the the top guys to one of the very promising younger guys. So there might be just a slight drop-off because of just how well Denard was able to play the slot. But in terms of – there's maybe a slight drop-off there. But overall, looking at the secondary, just because – like we said, Kirkpatrick is 30 years old, right? You get younger with Trey Waynes, you get the 26, even if they're very kind of similar in their in their style or their play. Waynes does offer more against the run. Kirkpatrick ended last season with a 47.7 grade and 13 penalties and 16 missed tackles. That's just, that's too much. That's on all counts. You know, it's just not good enough. It's not a starter level. And that, with how much money he was making, it's just, they had to move on, and I think getting Waynes, who's graded 65 or higher in all phases last season compared to Drake Kirkpatrick, who was 50 or under, you see a market improvement there that you can at least feel good about. You've got a younger corner who has that athleticism who can take us back a little bit and get a little bit younger on that boundary corner, and hopefully they turn more to address the secondary with some younger, more talented players next year in the draft and maybe a little bit in free agency if they decide to attack it the same kind of way they did this season. Looking at kind of Clayton Fedulum to Von Bell, it's a little difficult to compare apples to apples just because Clayton has only played 111 snaps last season and 167 the season before. But in a limited role, he's always graded well for us. He's always been around that kind of like above average mark and then Two seasons ago, I think because of the small snap count and his big play against the Colts where he forced the fumble and returned it for the touchdown, uh, I think that kind of boosted his grade on that uh, on that season to where he had an 88. So, And a lot of that comes from, like you said, where there's the side of Jermaine Pratt makes a mistake and then he only gets a little bit of snaps, so the grade's lower. The mm-hmm. same way that Clayton made a really good play, didn't get a lot of snaps, so his grade is higher. You know, that's that's something you do have to take into context with the grades. Is always the snap count and the sample size you're working with. Um, sure. But looking at Von Bell, he lined up at free safety on 500 of his 1,037 snaps last season. I don't think that's going to happen again, like coming to the Bengals with, with Jesse Bates on the team. Looking mm-hmm. at just how Sean Williams was deployed last year, he played more snaps, uh, 1,145, but took only 172 lined up at a free safety spot. So massive difference there. Um, and Bell recorded actually an 85 or higher run defense grade in each of his, uh, three of his four seasons. So you got to think he's well suited to that kind of box role that he might end up playing for the Bengals to help out a little bit in that run support. Let Jesse play Jesse Bates do a little more of the single high stuff and let him just be a playmaker and 
I think that'll be a boon to the run defense that seemed to struggle a lot last season. And it's another versatile piece for Lou Anarumo that he can deploy in coverage and as and in the box and kind of offer a little bit there is in pass rush, run defense and coverage. Again, we see a guy who can affect all three phases because we, we know Anarumo has talked how much he loves that versatility. And if you look at the draft picks and the free agent signings, I think you see that. Absolutely. And, and kind of the reason I, I made the comparison with with, with you know, I, I realized there's a, a difference in how much they were deployed, but yeah, I think that that third safety is is pretty big. You know, it's mm-hmm. not quite a starter, but they were in a, a lot of dime defense with three safeties last year, whether it was Fedge or it was Brandon Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting about Bell that it, he kind of frees up Sean Williams a mm-hmm. little bit because. I think Sean Williams was better in more of a true safety role, rock down a good amount of the time, but also in some cover two stuff. Um, and last year, and I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you or, or exactly, but I mean, Sean Williams is spending a lot of his time lined up at linebacker. Oh yeah. Um, I think you know, uh, by alignment, he's, he's technically like he's, he's a dime, you know, he's a dime safety, mm-hmm. but you know, that's that's where that's where he's lined up. So I think it was a bit unnatural for him. And I think the Von Bell thing, I, I like to think of all three of those guys as almost starters, because I, I think mm-hmm. that we could potentially see a lot of that that dime defense and, and that that will free up Williams to, to be uh, a little bit more consistent next year. I agree. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I think it was over 500 snaps out of his 1100 that were in the box. So, you know, I mean, he was basically a linebacker half the time, you know, like you were saying. And so I think that, like you said, gives them the versatility to play more of those nickel and dime looks where they may get a little more creative. I mean, they were playing. I think the NFL average of nickel was in the low 70s last season where base isn't base anymore. You know, it's just there's so much passing going on these days and you have to be able to defend that pass. And though they may not have addressed the secondary necessarily in the draft, I think they did a lot to get guys that fit their scheme and what they want to do. And I think that's going to give them a boost in the coverage unit and also as well, kind of giving that run support and getting a little bit faster and more athletic in that run support and the ability to get sideline to sideline. So, so going back to the draft and, you know, again, we touched on the area they didn't really hit, but uh, going back to the draft, how uh, did PFF rate the Bengals draft and, and how did that compare to the rest of the AFC North? Well, they gave the Bengals draft an A. And so a lot of that comes from love Joe Burrow, love T Higgins and big fans of a lot of the players they picked. Taking three linebackers in the draft is going to kind of hurt that grade and keep it from being <laughs> an A plus to an A just because of positional value and there was, especially with Josh Jones being on the on the board in the third round. I know there's a lot of a lot of polarization surrounding him, where some people liked him in the first round. I know some other people didn't like him until the fourth, and the NFL clearly agreed with the people who didn't like him until later. PFF yeah. was very high on him and had him as a late first round prospect. Um, I think that kind of dings the grade a little bit, but still walking away with an A in a draft is. You got to feel great about it, and especially when you get your quarterback and you get an A plus plus pick for for Joe Burrow. But comparing that to the rest of the AFC North and the rivals out there that we're looking at, I know that people probably aren't going to want to hear it, but the the media darling Browns did get an A-plus for their draft, and that's a big part of getting Jedrick Wills, who we really liked, Grant Delpit in the second round, which was an extremely good value, and mm-hmm. Jordan Elliott from Missouri, who 
PFF was very high on and really liked him. So getting those kind of guys and then getting Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round, too, was just kind of a dart throw a wide receiver for an athletic guy that maybe has more than what he was able to show and offer in college. Sure. PFF I, was a big I fan. think it's interesting, too, because I, I think that Jarvis Landry is mm-hmm. a pretty decent comp for him. So, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe at some point you're getting a much discounted Jarvis Landry. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're getting a younger, more discounted Jarvis Landry and you got yourself an heir apparent there. I mean, and Lord knows they could use a little bit of receiver help out there too. everyone you, like corners. You could always use more talented receivers. You, sure. It's rare you have enough of them. But looking at the Ravens, uh, actually, a lot of people really like the Ravens draft, and we ended up giving them that that B grade. Um, a lot of that's taking running backs early when you've already got running backs on the roster that were really good. Um, they did really clean up on those comp picks, though, getting Devin DuVernay from Texas. We had that as maybe a little bit of a reach, but, I mean, if you're going to use him the right way and you've got a slot receiver – I, I would have loved him for the Bengals, but at the same time, you know, Tyler Boyd's already playing in the slot so much. It's just hard to see a role for that guy I, on the team. But I don't I don't get that for them. I love the player, too, but mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like a guy Lamar is going to get the ball to the way he needs right. to get the he, ball. He, he's so fun to watch. But when you start just thinking, OK, how can I deploy him? It's just like, man, I I don't I don't really have a role for him. You know, yeah, they're going to be doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a quick timing in and out of cuts type of guy. And I think, you know, Lamar's a little bit more of a give me a guy that can run under the ball because I'm going to I'm going to throw into the end zone kind of guy. Yeah. And, yeah. and no disrespect to Lamar. I love Lamar, but I, oh, just, yeah. I just don't think that's that's a great mesh between their skill sets. Yeah, no, I agree. So looking at all that and we ended up just giving them a B. Uh, the Patrick, we like the Patrick Queen pick for him. They got value there. It was just really the, the J.K. Dobbins pick kind of brought it down and then. There were some about, other late round picks. Malik Harrison is is interesting. <laughs> you, he's you a like, little bit polarizing with people too. So <laughs> yeah, that was the thing is yeah you either you either kind of liked Malik Harrison believed he was kind of like that that second round linebacker prospect up there with you know Willie Gay and Akeem Davis Gaither. We had him at 102 on the big board and we kind of had him as he's better as a kind of a blitz heavy scheme as opposed to just dropping into coverage constantly because we didn't feel that maybe that was his his strong suit, as long as you're not asking him to do too much in coverage, we feel like that can be a good pick. And of course the Ravens love to blitz their linebackers. So the fit is good. So, you know, and that's one thing where, Hey, maybe we have him lower on the board, but if we're looking at it through the lens of the Ravens, that could be a really good fit and move him up in in terms of how you'd value him. But moving on to the Steelers too, everyone will love to hear this. They got the worst grade out of the uh, (laughs) AFC North. They got the B minus and, we uh, PFF was high on Alex Highsmith and Chase Claypool is uh, interesting with upside, but I don't know. He's got he's got the he's got the profile. He's six four. He's two forty. He's got the four four forty. You know, and the vertical jump with forty inches. He's intriguing, um, but you know he he was one of those guys who is traits, but not necessarily separation, you know, and mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily maybe play as fast as he looked. I think a lot of people were very surprised to see him run in those low four fours, but we know how the receivers can develop their, or I'm sorry, we know how the Steelers can develop, develop their receivers. So that could end up being a better pick for them. But at the meantime, we're a little lower on that. And then coming in, we, we weren't a big fan of Kevin Dodson either. Um, so just overall with the Anthony McFarland pick, and i Personally, a fan of Anthony McFarland. I know Ben Solak. I've heard him raving about Anthony McFarland forever, and uh, he's very interesting. But, you know, just overall, looking at what they got, 
they were limited with their picks. They had a second, third, two fourths, and they didn't end up having that first round pick. So that's probably going to bring their grade down a little bit. But if you want to walk away with some takeaways, the Ravens and the Steelers had the lowest graded drafts by PFF. So at the least, the Bengals are closing the gap a little bit. Yeah, but I don't know. You do kind of have to consider with an asterisk that that, that first round pick, pick is Minka Fitzpatrick. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm an Alabama guy, so I it killed me to see Minka, you know, yeah. head, head over there. But man, I he he is a really talented player, and a lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows at that initially. And when they saw what he could do, really, when he started to flourish, man, I he was definitely one of the better one of the better defensive backs. And the ways you can deploy him too is it's he's a real fun player, as he, much as it pains me to say. He fixed that defense. He, like oh, he yeah. was the missing he was the missing link in that defense, and um. Like that's what they needed because that defense wasn't very good at the beginning of the year, and then and then they didn't have a quarterback. So, um, you know, I mean, they they weren't going to tank. You know, that's not how that team's built. That's absolutely yeah. That's were, that's not the Steelers' culture. Yeah, they no. So, uh, I mean, so I mean, good for them. They went out and they found the guy, and I don't think that guy's you know more so than his talent finding the guy for the role they deployed him in wasn't going to be easy. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were able to get that guy and find it and shore it up, and now it's just okay. If Ben's back, we're going to be we're going to be competitive, right? Those guys just aren't available out there for trade, you know, that often. So yeah, to be able to snag one of those guys is. And, and look at this draft. I mean, right. you weren't finding them in this draft. Uh huh. <laughs> they didn't. They weren't even a safety in round one. You know. You know. So it's uh, um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it was a pretty smart move. I think it was too. Yeah, it, it worked out for him. Sometimes, you know, it's nice to say, oh, I could have just taken this guy in the second or third round. But, you know, once you get in the NFL, you kind of know what you have versus you're just projecting from, from the draft. So you have to appropriately try and value that as well. Absolutely. So um, I, once again, my my guest today, uh, Evan McPhillips from uh, PFF Bengals. So appreciate you joining me. Uh, my guest today brought to me uh, brought to you by New Era Hats. Uh, where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at E McPhil, and you can also follow our Bengals account at PFF underscore Bengals. And we'll have all your Bengals stats and content coming up for the season. All that will be found right there. So you can uh, go ahead and follow that. And we'll have some interesting player stats coming out over the next couple of weeks as we dive more into the data and see what we got coming out. And hopefully we've got some real football here soon that we can start talking about and analyzing. Absolutely. So, yeah, the draft is over, but the the work goes on. So, you know, keep keep following. Definitely a great, great file to have. And PFF's great at just putting out stats uh, over the course of the the summer just to kind of keep things interesting and keep you thinking about things. And uh, as improvements are made and changes are made and things like that, uh, they're always good at putting out uh, interesting, interesting little tidbits. So uh, definitely check that out. And you know, keep it uh, keep it tuned to uh, to Cincy Jungle as well. We'll keep the podcast rolling. I might not do quite as many episodes as I was doing leading up to the draft, but uh, we'll definitely have plenty of content. Uh, lots of great articles. I've got uh, film review articles uh, of all of the draft prospects coming up. I'm still working on a couple of the linebackers right now, but uh, they should all be uh, all be up in the uh, next week or so. Um, doing film uh, on YouTube of these players as well. But I actually took a break from that because um, I, after the, the Joe Burrow uh, comment about uh, the Bengals asking for his top 10 plays, uh, I decided to, to take a look at some of my favorite plays from LSU. 
some of the things that I that I hope he's bringing in. So the first video actually went up today uh, for that on on our YouTube page, the Orange and Black Insider YouTube page. So you can check out that video, uh, and then there will be a part two with with five more plays uh, coming up soon. So uh, if you like X's nose stuff and you want to see some of the new offensive stuff that the Bengals might be bringing in, that's some great stuff to check out. Uh, but yeah, so appreciate uh, you uh, joining me today, Evan, and appreciate everybody for uh, for tuning in for listening. And again, you know, hopefully we get some real football soon. We get to see Joe Burrow out there in stripes. And go Bengals. Yeah, we coming for with sours. You hit